Hello, I'm Arnold Hamilton, editor of the Oklahoma Observer. And I'm Marianne Martin. And this is Observer Cast, your weekly deep dive into Oklahoma politics and policy. Presented by the Mary Lou Lemon Foundation. The Oklahoma legislature returned to the state capitol today for a special session called by Governor Kevin Stitt. What did the governor want? Well, he wrote on social media, my plan, cut taxes and stop growing government. Fine and dandy, except um, how are you gonna get there? The governor's tweet wasn't a plan at all. At best, it's an aspiration, sort of like, I'm gonna make Oklahoma a top 10 state. Great idea, but how? The truth is, cutting one of the state's largest revenue sources, the individual income tax, isn't going to propel Oklahoma to top 10. It's going to cement us in the bottom 10. How do we know? We tried it here and it failed miserably. Remember 2018 when legislators, a gun to their heads, were forced to reverse field and raise gross production and other taxes? to help plug a massive budget hole that led, among other things, to the nation's deepest budget cuts for higher and common education? Our next door neighbors, Kansas, tried supply side economics too, with similar results. Cutting taxes for wealthy individuals and rich corporations simply doesn't magically generate more state revenue. Kansas learned from its mistake, electing Democrat Laura Kelly as governor to succeed the king of voodoo economics, Sam Brownback. Things are going so much better in Kansas that Kelly was reelected. Kelly, a Democrat, winning statewide, again, in historically Republican Kansas. Kansas. The current Oklahoma legislature seemed divided over whether to follow Stitt off the fiscal cliff. The House Speaker, who evidently thinks a tax cut might be his ticket to the governorship in 2026, was open to the idea, which typically would mean the House is open to the idea. The Senate clearly wasn't. That was crystal clear in today's two-hour-plus Appropriations Committee meeting that Stitt didn't deign to attend much less provide any details regarding his tax-cutting plan, at least nothing beyond cut taxes and stop growing government. Then, suddenly, the full Senate returned to session and adjourned. Signy die. Special session over. Bullet dodged. But the truth is, the right-wing Republican love affair with trickle-down economics continues largely unabated. We're in relatively good financial shape by Oklahoma standards, billions nestled in various state accounts, including the rainy day fund, which means the tax cutters will try, try, and try again. But let's talk about what would happen if we start cutting taxes again, especially if the economic slowdown continues. We asked someone who probably knows more about the insidiousness of tax cuts than anyone in the state. The Oklahoma Policy Institute's Emma Morris to join us for this week's Observer Cast to help us cut through the Chamber of Commerce and right-wing bloviating about the wonders of tax cuts and get to the facts about what a new round of tax cutting would mean for workaday Sooners. So Emma, it's great to have you with us today. We, can you take a minute and 
kind of tell folks uh, what you do at OK, what your specialties are at OK Policy and, and how you, what, what your path was to get to OK Policy? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on the, on the podcast. Um, so at OK Policy, I am the care and fiscal policy analyst. Um, so I work in healthcare policy as well as fiscal policy or tax and budget, the way we tax and spend in Oklahoma. Um, at first, you know, when you first hear that, you might think these two things are very separate, discrete, you know, issue areas. But in reality, every policy area is really um, impacted by the state budget, by the way that we tax and spend. So getting to work on these two issues has been, you know, been really helpful for me in, in learning how all of our different policy areas intersect and overlap. Um, so I came to OK Policy after spending um, about two and a half years working in uh, direct services, providing assistance and folks who were leaving incarceration and transitioning back into our communities. Um, so I spent those two and a half years like really learning about the barriers and obstacles that individuals face. Um, and then by extension, the need for policy change to make systemic differences. Um, that's how I came to Oklahoma Policy Institute. Okay, so do you have Oki roots? Yes, I'm from Shawnee uh, originally, lived there my whole life until I went to college. Um, and now I'm Tulsa based. Oh, fantastic. And Marianne has joined us. Good to see you. Okay. Our, our listeners can't see us. We can see each other, which is a great thing. So, so this is not a shocking thing, Emma, to you that that what's happening at Twenty Third and Lincoln with the governor's call for tax cuts only, you know, what five years from the teacher walkout and legislators, you know, being forced to raise taxes against their will and, uh, you know, us coming out of a terrible, a terrible situation. It, it, we just seem to um, wash, rinse and repeat on these things, don't we? Tax cuts have certainly been a major talking point, a major priority for a lot of our leaders, our state leaders. Um, over the last few years, we've cut taxes several times, um, particularly the personal income tax and the corporate income tax um, in the last few years. And yeah, you're right. It's it's back up again. It's something that um, everyone seems to be talking about. Um, but, his, you know, our history of cutting these taxes has shown us that um, we don't really get the economic boon that we're promised when we talk about tax cuts often. Um, so it's, I think, well, maybe not surprising that we're continuing to hear about tax cuts. It's certainly something that um, is a little discouraging because we know that that they don't really impact the economy in the way that uh, they're often claimed to. Now, the, the first go around of these, and it started late in the Brad Henry, speaking of Shawnee days, um, as governor and continued through Mary Fallon. Um, if, if I remember correctly, the legislature basically cut the equivalent of about $2 billion in state revenue during that time. When we were, you know, as Oklahoma's want, we were in one of those boom cycles through much of that period. And, you know, the bust always comes and, and it's a totally different world when the bust comes. But how much of that have we been able to recoup thanks to the tax 
increases in 2018 and just general growth in Oklahoma. Are, are we anywhere close if you take a look at when adjusted for inflation, where where we were then as opposed to now? Yeah, so when we look at the, the state budget, and when I say the state budget, I'm really talking about um, the money that the legislature has control over. Um, we, this year, this the current fiscal year, fiscal year 24, um, our budget is about 12% smaller than it was in the year 2000 when we adjust for inflation and for population growth. Um, so I, you know, wasn't around necessarily for uh, started this pattern of cutting taxes um, to, to um, witness everything that was happening, but I can say that our general revenue fund, the, the money that we're spending on things like Medicaid and public education and all of these different public shared services, um, that has decreased when we adjust for inflation and for population growth over the last, you know, 24, 25 Well, it's, um, you know, that's saying something when you think if you with when adjusted for inflation and population that we're spending 12 percent less, that it, it's, it's really in some ways it's amazing that we've sort of survived at all, I think, through this. But a lot of it undoubtedly was helped by the fact that we coming out of covid um, got a huge infusion of federal money, which sort of has disguised a lot of what we would think of as the pain uh, that would have been associated with those kinds of cuts in vital state services for workaday Oklahomans, right? Yeah, so I think um, one of the kind of the example of federal funding that maybe feels most personal or understandable to everyday Oklahoman is the stimulus checks that we got um, as, a, as a part of the COVID recovery. Uh, that money wasn't directly given to the state government. However, it was given to, to people, to Oklahomans who spent that money in our economy, buying goods, buying things that are taxed. So our tax revenue um, has increased. There are certainly other um, ways that federal funding has impacted our you know, state revenue and, and the way that we're spending things. Um, but I just think that's one of the more like personal examples that that feels the closest to people. Um, and yeah, I mean, there is certainly, we are seeing increased revenues in the last few years, um, particularly compared to like, you know, the mid and late 20 teens when we were seeing much lower revenues. Um, we're seeing increased revenue, um, but a lot of that, it's not because it's not all because the state has figured out a way to grow our economy per se. A lot of it has to do with the increased federal funding that is floating around in our communities. Um, which means that while that's great and really important, it also means that that's not going to be around forever. Um, it's not a sustainable form of revenue. Um, and so, you know, making permanent tax changes, cutting taxes in a permanent way now, when a big reason for increasing revenue is that one-time federal funding um, is not the most forward-looking long-term thing that we could do. Well, you know, at, at the Appropriations Committee hearing today, it, it it was really interesting. Well, it's it's pretty clear that 
Senate leadership is not on board with the governor's plan on this, uh, but but individual senators are because they, and it's it's interesting how they sort of harp on the notion that Oklahoma's economy blossomed, it just came roaring out of COVID because we didn't have the lockdown that other states had. So, you know, arguing sort of that political point that we did it, you know, we did it right. And so that, and look what happened. We got this, got this windfall, but there was an acknowledgement and I thought it was very interesting. And it was a fair amount of discussion about the fact that these federal dollars that you're referencing there have been working their way through the economy. That doesn't last forever. You know, it, eventually that's going to sort of run its course. And when you've had now, what, five, six months of slowing general revenues, you know, that's kind of a worrisome trend. That's not exactly the time you'd want to jump off the fiscal cliff, potential fiscal cliff again, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, we are seeing, you know, slowing, we're seeing declining uh, gross receipts over the last, I think, five months. Um, you know, there's, Really, we're just in a time of economic uncertainty. There are some economic economists saying uh, we're in the clear. There are others saying we're going to go into a recession. There are others saying it'll be somewhere in the middle. Um, and so, you know, a, the combination of declining revenues plus economic uncertainty just means it's really not a good time to, again, be making the permanent changes. Because the other thing to think about when thinking about taxes and tax cuts and tax changes is Oklahoma's supermajority requirement to raise revenue. Um, in order to raise revenue in, revenue in Oklahoma, you know, lawmakers have to pass a bill with a three-fourths majority of both legislative chambers, which has happened about one time since that uh, requirement went into effect. And so, um, what that means, you know, in practice is that once we cut a tax, we are more than likely not going to get that, be able to raise it in the future to get that revenue back. Um, so all of those things combined really, you know, it's just, it's just kind of, um, it's kind of a short-sighted thing to be making these permanent changes now when we don't know what our economy is going to look like in, you know, two, three, five, ten years. Well, it's, um, I, I think that's, I, I guess what I wonder for people who are sort of trying to figure all this out, and we know that disproportionately these tax breaks benefit the wealth, the wealthiest in Oklahoma, not the least among us, and especially those who rely on vital services, which is vital state services, which are the vast majority of Oklahomans who you know, they want their colleges and universities open. They want their roads, you know, to not have sinkholes in them, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. I, I know that, um, you know, one of the things that emerged in the committee meeting this morning was that um, the legislature already, since the governor made the call for the special session, uh, the Senate at least has gotten, and I assume the House has as well, uh, more than $1.2 billion in new spending requests from state agencies, which undoubtedly, if you're thinking about a 12% cut from where we would have been had we not gone through tax cuts 
a decade plus ago is to try to fill holes that are still there in the system, not necessarily to expand. So I, I would think that makes it even dicier for legislators to think about moving forward on this thing because, and maybe you can tell us what, you know, what does that mean for average people in Oklahoma? What, you know, it, that sounds like a lot of money. It is a lot of money, you know, but $1.2 billion in requests, you know, if you can fund those, what does that go for? And not funding them, what does that mean for all of us working stiffs? Yeah, so, you know, I haven't seen the specific budget requests in order to like give details on, you know, what these proposals are, but generally when agencies are requesting increases or, you know, either annual increases or time increases for specific projects, um, it's usually things that are going to be really impactful for um, this, you know, maybe it's appropriations to fund more mental health beds um, or appropriations to better support rural hospitals. Um, so, well, I don't know the specifics of these, um, this year's, you know, uh, requests. I think it's safe to say that generally this type of request, you know, is a plus for Oklahoma. When we in things like, you know, making housing more affordable, making sure people can access healthcare, that not only impacts the people who, you know, buy those houses or use that healthcare, but it also impacts all Oklahomans because it makes the state, you know, more attractive to new business, um, you know, more supportive for current businesses that are then going to create jobs and, um, you know, increase our economic growth in that way. So, these agency requests um, are, I would say, more than likely things that, are, that would be really good for the state of Oklahoma. Um, one of the things that you said a, a, a few minutes back was, you know, when we cut taxes, when we cut the income tax, it is disproportionately beneficial to wealthy people. And um, it's very true. The thing I would add to that is when we cut revenue, when we reduce revenue that the state has available, not only does it, you know, a lot, a big chunk of, of that refund goes to wealthier individuals, but it also usually, you know, the the negative impacts of less state revenue also usually disproportionately impacts lower income folks in, in a bad way. So it's kind of this double way, right? Like if we cut taxes, we're gonna send more money, um, to wealthier folks and also have less money to provide things like, you know, social services, like Medicaid, like supporting rural hospitals, as well as, you know, um, things that everybody uses like roads and, you know, college and career tech and all these things. Well, I know one of the things they were not, there were no specifics about what that $1.2 billion in new spending uh what it was coming for from what agencies it was coming from and what sorts of programs were involved in that sort of thing. But there was an interesting side note to that, which is um, that, and again, they weren't specifics specific about this, but there were some of the largest state agencies that already have proposed flat budgets for the next year. So, you know, that, that suggests to me, and maybe not, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the governor's office leaning on them to say, hey, let's hold the line here because we want to cut taxes. 
but but maybe it also suggests that some of these other agencies <laughs> we're in a world of hurt and we've got long lines and waiting lists and you know services aren't getting to people that that are crucial that so we really need there? that it's not icing on the cake so I just want to I want to jump in because the agencies that are are typically requesting flat budgets are the ones that are executive agencies that does have direct oversight, mm -hmm. and he is giving them explicit mandates to request flat budgets. Period. So this is not you know this is these are not honest requests, and as we have seen the past couple of years, the members of the legislature at the budget hearings will say you know, are you sure this is what you need? <laughs> because they're not asking for what they need. They're asking for what's acceptable to Kevin Stitt. And what that means is, is that, you know, this, this, what, what this signals to me is that losing revenue through ending an, any sort of taxation will have detrimental effects already to agencies. Because there's no way with the, you know, as much as they complain about inflation, as much as they complain about rising costs, as much as they complain about, I don't know, federal mandates, et cetera, et cetera. There is no way that flat budgets actually represent what they need to keep, you know, to keep operations at a certain level. So I, I just wanted to point that out. Like there's there's already some holes in his claims that we can afford any sort of revenue cuts precisely because those will come, you know, those will impact our rainy day budget, which as we know is, has finite, it's finite, right? <laughs> it, it can go away. Like it is, it is itself the definition of it, a one-time fund, you know? Um, so, so it, it's just like, there's already a huge hole in his claim that we can safely and sustainably cut taxes in the state of Oklahoma. Well, Remember $47 million, too, that the State Department of Education is at, is $47 million less they're going to ask for, apparently, next year, which is fascinating. I'm sorry, Emma. I just, no, you know, I, you're totally yeah. fine. I was just going to say, um, you know, there is there has been all this talk about flat budgets and, you know, not asking for increases. But the thing is, like, if, if your household income does not increase every year, right? If it was the same as it was in 2019, lost a significant portion of buying power. And we have a lot of agencies who are in that kind of um, situation where they've either seen, you know, when we're adjusting for inflation, massive losses or, you know, smaller losses that are still really impactful. And I feel like one, um, like, again, like really personal example for a lot of people um, of, of the impact of this is, it can take hours and hours sometimes days, to get a driver's license, right? In Oklahoma, I you hear anecdotes and stories all the time. Just, yes. yes, it can take weeks. Yes, if anyone has gotten their kid their driver's license in the last yep. few years, right? <laughs> um, it can take so long. And that is a direct um, outcome of the choices that we're making with how we're spending our money. We could put more money into Service Oklahoma so we could hire more um you know, folks who actually provide those services. Um, and that would be, an, I mean, that would have an immediate impact on the well-being, you know, of Oklahomans, but um, we haven't really done that. So we could use some of the money that we have rather than cutting taxes to make those kinds of investments that would have immediate impacts on everyday folks. Uh, I'm just going to add to that list. 
Um, I'm just going to say we could pay for staff at our parks and recreation system to actually maintain and upkeep those spaces. I mean, there's nothing like going to a marquee event in um, Quartz Mountain, for instance, in July, in June, and the property is just covered in weeds, right? Because they can't afford to get maintenance workers out there. And I'm taking direct aim at a very specific agency <laughs> um, because of now who's in charge of it. Um, anyways, but I mean, that's just another example of the ways like our state parks are a crown jewel of this, of, you know, we have amazing resources and yet they languish um, because you can't pay people. You know, I mean, and it's not like it's in parts of the state that don't have people that don't, you know, need jobs because they are. <clears throat> so I'll stop there. I mean, I could keep going, but I'll, <laughs> I, I just wanted to pick on that one really quick. So, <laughs> well, it's also interesting too, because apparently the uh, Oklahoma, uh, the tax commission folks passed out a, uh, a comparison um, mm -hmm. with with you know a a look at what the quarter percent proposed personal income tax cut the impact of it would be and what they discovered is it was almost equal to the uh, projected impact of the private school income tax credit now it's just a, it's a very it's just it's just interesting you know that uh, that it that it ended up at that that they ended up the same i i mean who knows why they chose that to compare but um you know this is potentially a lot of money that's going to be not well it's a lot in. of money that's going back into a certain population's pocket yes and, you know, on the, the subject of the private school tax credits, um, there are a lot of things that we incentivize through the income tax system. Like we have the voucher program, um, we have different types of tax credits that incentivize, you know, different types of investment, um, you know, provide assistance to folks who are working page paycheck to paycheck, um, incentivize employers to hire certain folks with certain degrees or whatever. Um, and a lot of that happens through the income system, the income tax. So, you know, there's conversation about cutting the tax. There's also conversation about repealing or fully eliminating the tax. And um, that would just, I mean, we would lose a lot of, you know, what, for better or for worse, we have a lot of tax credits and deductions and exemptions. And all of those would really go away if we didn't have an income tax at all, um, which would really, I think, change the structure of not only our tax system, but a lot of our economic, you know, movement and throughout the state. I think they used the tax system to like even incentivize things like uh, certain providers, healthcare providers in the state. I, I I don't I don't remember if it was a tax, but I mean, there's, um, you know, Senator McCourtney and Representative uh, McIntyre at one point. I mean, they were looking at ways to um, get new healthcare. You know, because we're full of healthcare deserts. You know, to the state. Um, through precisely what you're talking about, right? Like these these ways, I don't know, but I've never really thought of it as incentivizing, but yes, like that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> we totally like empty, we empty our quiver, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, so I remember that conversation um, was about like 
incentivizing healthcare providers to move to rural areas in yeah. so many of our healthcare deserts. And I can't remember if that specific credit passed. Yeah, I can't either, but you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Like it yeah, was and, but we, we, yeah, we do have those credits on the books for like certain types of engineers, aerospace employees, like all of these different, um, very specialized industries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you know, what's really troubling about that, Emma, is that, you know, I think, you know, and I'm not enough of a numbers cruncher. I'm a words guy. Um, but I, I've sort of long felt that we really do need to overhaul our tax system and take a hard look at some of these things. The problem is, you know, the folks who have the most influence at 23rd and Lincoln are not interested in creating a fair tax system for everybody. It doesn't seem to me. And, you know, the state chamber is, boy, they are on board on this notion of, you know, getting rid of the state income tax, working on whittling it down and getting rid of it. Of course, you can imagine the, you know, this is the wildest dreams of the Oklahoma Council of Public Affairs that this is, you know, that this sort of thing is taking place. So as much as I think we need to sort of look at it and say, let's get rid of a bunch of this stuff and treat everybody fairly, because the income tax system at its core, the personal income tax, to me, is the fairest system of all because it's based on your ability to pay. And, and, but it's when you create all these incentives and exceptions, it's no longer that fair system like that. And I worry that if, if these folks come in and say, we're going to reform the tax system, well, it's not going to benefit working folks, you know, in Oklahoma. And, and folks at the lower end of the economic spectrum, I can guarantee you that. So how do we how do we proceed with this? You know, it, you just end up playing defense all the time um, to try and thwart the worst impulses on these things. Or is there really, do you have a magic formula for how we we actually could begin to make some progress? Imagine that in Oklahoma. Yeah. I, so, yeah, I think that um, I wish I had a magic formula. I think you're right that, you know, we have over the last several years, several decades, we have like really taken a piecemeal approach to the tax system in Oklahoma. Um, we pass a change and then to the sales tax, then you pass a change to the income tax or the corporate tax. Um, and we haven't often looked at it in like a holistic way. Um for example, in an ideal world, if we could completely redo our tax system, Oklahoma wouldn't have a grocery tax, right? Like everyone agrees exactly. that the sales of groceries is regressive and it's um, unfair and that it shouldn't exist. However, in Oklahoma, if we got rid of it, it would cost $370 million. And we don't really have, because of the supermajority requirement to raise revenue, we don't really have like a surefire way to replace lost revenue. And so it's been hard to get, um, you know, there's been lots of different people talking about doing that and there hasn't been any movement on it because there are just so many compounding factors. Um, so I think, I wish my answer was we can totally overhaul the system. I don't think that's in the cards at this moment. Um, I do think that one of the things, you know, one of the tactics maybe that um, people could think about is as much as things like tax credits or income tax exemptions and deductions um, 
can be used in unfair ways. There are also certain credits that are targeted at lower income and middle income folks um, that can go a long way towards making the tax system a little fairer. For of course, the earned income tax credit, which incentivizes work and provides, you know, um, a tax credit at tax time. There's also, you know, the sales tax relief credit, which is just available to anyone who makes under a certain income, regardless of hours worked or dependents or anything like that. Um, and you know, we could think about like a child tax credit, expanding our existing child tax credit. So there are things we can do within the system that, while they might not be as like, satisfying as a overhaul, um, they can be really meaningful for folks who are living to paycheck to paycheck or just trying to get by. One of the problems with that, though, is, is that it, that's not as easily accessible for people at the bottom of the economic socioeconomic scale, right? Because, you know, they they aren't hiring CPAs and different people like that to make sure that they take advantage of all these things. They may not be aware of some of them, right? Yeah, so that's a great point. Um, yeah, we have, we have, you know, several tax credits that are geared towards um, the lower and middle income um, spectrums, but yeah, there's a lot of people who don't know about them. Um, if you make under a certain income, you don't even have to file taxes. So there's folks who are probably eligible for a, a credit like the sales tax credit, but they maybe aren't filing their taxes, so they don't know. Um, I think one way to come to combat that is there are some states that um, specifically fund whether it's like their tax agencies like the tax commission in Oklahoma or nonprofits around the state do outreach around tax credits um, to make sure that people actually do know what they qualify for and that they're fi filing and claiming those things. In Oklahoma, we have like the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program or VITA um, and a couple others. And while you're absolutely right that there is like there is there are some folks who don't know about these things and who do qualify. I think that figuring out ways to better fund programs like VITA or maybe having an outreach component of the tax commission um, to help people file and claim they're eligible for could be a way to kind of start to fill the gap. It's not the, you know, comprehensive overhaul the system solution, but I think it's a solution that you know, might be more feasible in Oklahoma in this moment. Can I just so, say that I don't know I want, I don't, I don't want our current hyper super nuclear majority to have the ability to completely overhaul <laughs> our tax system. Like, I don't think that's what we want because we know it would not go you said that much clearer than I did. I was, I was, I was trying to go there a few minutes ago. Yeah, but. Like I don't want them to be able to do that. I don't want anyone to give them the idea to do that. You don't like, trust and, them. No. Yeah, and there's been some. You know, last year, I think it was last year, or maybe earlier this year. I don't know. Um, the Senate convened a working group of all Repub I, I believe, primarily or completely Republicans. Um, to kind of make like a tax like working group to figure out how can like what would it look like if we for example got rid of the the income tax um and i believe the group met a few times 
I do, I have not read anything. I don't think they've put anything out like a report, um, which is kind of just an example to show that like, it would also be really hard, like getting everyone to the table to figure out, well, <laughs> one, just ensuring that everyone even has a spot at the table, but then like taking into account everybody's different priorities, it would be really, really hard to do that. Oh, it'd be a madhouse. Yeah. It would be a madhouse or it'd be done under the dark of night and suddenly we'd have this tax system. I mean, because this is, they don't operate in the daylight you know <laughs> i mean literally they don't do these things um which makes it even more entertaining that the senate just adjourned signy die when one of the you know one of the bills that wanted to pass was a budget transparency bill <laughs> i mean this, i'm sorry i just have to bring up that this day is going to go down and like congressional legislative history you know kevin mccarthy is booted as speaker <laughs> and the the legislature convenes and they be like nope and packs up and goes right back home so <laughs> no one's taking what they're selling <laughs> i think the, the house is still technically in session so i wonder if they'll i don't know pass things yeah to... i mean they can't do anything because the senate is right out. so in the senate couldn't have done that couldn't have adjourned sunny die without the house's permission so i mean yeah, they can't they can't adjourn for any anything. They they have to do that with each other's permission. So it's done. So well, for now. <laughs> Until right. they call another one, yeah, and this, then is, they this do is it something again. that will not die. You know, this is something that the the governor might try governing on. You know, yeah. he might actually show up to that committee and talk to them because he doesn't like he doesn't seem to like to talk to people about his ideas well except you know today to uh to tweet let me see if i can find it here real quickly oh yeah my plan question mark yes yeah 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 what's his plan my plan cut taxes and stop growing government that's not a that's not a plan come yeah. on can we can we begin with those fallacies stop growing government okay then let's get it out of my uterus yeah but i tell you i've, I've got to confess i was you know i've been very worried about you know the what was going to happen on the house side but the senate seems to have been pretty pretty strong on this from the get-go um but it really you know it really worried me that the senate i mean that the house might board and then and the pressure would build then on the senate to to roll over and go along with some you know with the quarter percent or whatever a tax cut you think the senate would go i mean do you really think the senate would feel pressure though i i don't i don't think they you know i don't know i you know part of the problem with the you know with the makeup of the senate now is is that proportionally i think there are more people who would favor that on the republican side than than aren't or at least it's close now mm -hmm. they're not the adults in the room they're not in the positions of power and you know from the get-go here you know it was very clear that the governor's um call was problematic because you know normally if you're going to call if you're going to make a production and call everybody back and do this sort of thing, you're going to have counted votes. 
and you're going to know whether you could do it or not. And if you couldn't do it, if it wasn't pretty close to, you know, a slam dunk, you probably wouldn't get out there on that limb and then allow it to be sawed off behind you. And, and there was no better example of that really. And I know this isn't a special session thing, but you know, when the Senate president allowed his, didn't allow, but his voucher bill, you know, went down in flames that one night a couple of years ago. So, you know, it's, it's it's not rocket science here, the politics. So I don't know, you know, Emma. I don't know if you look across the borders at things. Um, I, I'm I'm just perplexed at how Kansas sort of was able to say, no, this is not a good thing. You know, we did all this, we drove ourselves into a ditch, and all of a sudden we had huge budget cuts. Our bond rating went down. You know, all this terrible stuff happened and we're going to, we're not doing that again. That may, you know, that was, that was a foolish mistake. And yet Oklahoma, just keep, we keep doing this over and over again. I just don't get it. I mean, we're a lot of, a lot of Oklahoma roots were people from Kansas who flooded in, you know, in the 1890s. So are we just slow learners? Is that what's, what, what's wrong with us? This is group therapy. Well, <laughs> um, you know, I again, I wasn't around in public policy when Kansas, you know, had the whole cut or eliminate their um, income tax and then had all the issues. I think in Oklahoma, we're just taking a slower approach, you know, um, we're just by a quarter point each time and, you know. I think, you know, if we do get to a point where um, we do get to a point where our income tax is, you know, a couple percent percentage points or it's zero, I think we're going to have we're going to feel the same impacts that Kansas felt, you know, um, schools closing or under four day weeks and, you know, hospitals struggling or closing. I think we're going to feel those things. I think we're just moving there in a in a slower way. <laughs> Well, Arnold, is there any other way to beat this horse to death? Because it's going to happen again. <laughs> yeah, I just keep, I just keep thinking, you know, what is it that, I know elections have consequences and, and the sooner that people come to that realization, you know, the better off we're going to be, but um, there's nothing most likely that can be done about three more years of the Stitt administration. Um, and we're at least another year plus away from any sort of uh, ability to change significantly. And I think that's most wildly optimistic to think that you could change the, radically change the composition of the legislature. Yet I can't help but think that people, you know, if they if they really fully understood, and they're just probably not as wonkish as we are around this table today, but if they really understood what was at stake here for vital services that they rely on and don't just magically appear, 
they appear because we pool our resources, um, that they would be in the ear of their legislators saying, don't do this. Instead, you need to invest. This is the time we have excess cash here. We should be taking care of things that, you know, these one times, this is a, this isn't just a once in a generation. This is a once in Oklahoma history opportunity and we're squandering, we're squandering it. I think there's an opportunity for um, like maybe some education about how government shows up in our lives. Um, you know, I think there's um, some misinformation about, you know, what particularly state government is and is not. You know, when, when you talk to someone about Medicaid, there's a really, uh, there can be a negative connotation, right? But when you talk to someone about sooner care, people know, oh, that's how I go to the doctor. That's how I get my prescription filled. Um, and so, and those are the same thing. It's just that we have um, negative thoughts about one and positive thoughts about the other. So I think the opportunities for, you know, folks working in the public sector or all of us really talking to our friends, neighbors, um, to really talk about how government shows up in our lives, talk about you don't wanna wait for hours at the DMV for your driver's license. Um, and then the other thing is, I think a lot of legislators would, would say that um, they're not really getting calls about cutting, cutting taxes. They're getting calls about things like waiting for hours at the DMV. Um, I think a lot of Oklahomans know that, um, that we need to invest in things like that. It just maybe doesn't always translate. Um, at the ballot box. So I just think there's an opportunity for some education there. I just wonder how you do that, just from the standpoint. I mean, you know, we try with the things that we do, but, um, you know, a lot of folks are are spinning a lot of plates trying to keep the lights on and food on the table and kids where they're supposed to be and, and um, working multiple jobs and those kinds of things. There's not a lot of bandwidth available there for them to ponder this whole, you know, they've, you know, they've really been squeezed into a position economically in this state that they have no choice but to just try to, you know, keep some of the plates from falling and everything falling apart. And that's a downer. That's not a way we should end the conversation, right? Marianne, help me out here. Is there something, okay, Sunny yeah. die is hopeful, I guess. Yeah, I mean. At least we punted it for a little while longer. We have. I mean, honestly, like, I, I feel like if I wanted to find the silver lining here, you know, we, we really see the legislature trying to force Stitt to the table, right? Which he has never done. Like, he's going to have to learn to govern and to be a statesman and to go to the legislature if he wants these policy provisions passed. Because um, he can't do them by fiat you know and so i i frankly enjoy the house and the senate making him play that game right um and it's not a game it has real world consequences so nothing that they do there is frivolous you know i mean even when it is frivolous like it it, it affects our lives um but i don't know i i've thought about this a lot and just like you know what do we do? i i think of the numbers on election nights a lot and how 
these rural districts will have barely four digits, you know, four figures, people come out to vote for their legislator and how, mm -hmm. you know, Steve Copeland was thrown out of office by Logan Phillips by mere, just a few digits, right? Just like a few people. And Logan Phillips was Logan Phillips in the same way. And, you know, I mean, the consequences are that close, you know, so, I mean, the elections do matter, but it's, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people in each district making all it, calling all the shots. Um, and I, and I don't, I, I, I feel like it doesn't really equate to these are the ways that things they do at the Capitol impact my life. Like the decisions that they make, it's not just sending someone I know, which I think is what it boils down to. This is someone I know in my district. Um, and I'm going to send them to the Capitol, but not really equating that with, and then they're going to vote on things that actually impact my life. You know, I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's that, that connection necessarily. Um, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know really, you know, so I don't know how to fix that. Well, that's, that's a challenge for, uh. Okay, policy and the Oklahoma Observer both. Yep. To figure out how to challenge folks, raise their consciousness at least, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, and it is hard. It's not easy, you know, to understand government and the way it works. And I don't want to, you know, shit on our education system and say it's their fault, but. I don't think people necessarily get. I think they hear government is bad, but they don't really understand what government does, and you know, and how that actually works. And um, I think they know the guy at the Rotary Club on Friday, and they know the guy that comes to the Lions Club, but I don't think they actually know what he does. You know, so I, I don't know. I, but I, I've told I've told you before, Arnold. I think hyper local messaging is one way that we do this. You know. Um, every district is hyper-local, um, all politics is local at the state level at least, um, you know, city councils, school boards start there, all that, but yeah, it's pretty, I mean, it's a lot. I don't well, know. I don't know who does it well, though, is the thing, so. If we could just give Emma a magic wand, we'd be. Yeah, what would you do, Emma? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I had a magic wand to fix the tax system, you know, people always ask, like, what's the one thing you do? And I'm like, there's a lot of things I would do. Um, but healthcare is the top of my list, but yeah, um, Sorry, yeah, I'm just gonna say that <laughs> that'd be my uh, one, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we have a lot of people who can't access anything because of the cost, um. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, if we're, if we're thinking about the tax system, I'd give us a progressive income tax with tax credit targeted towards low income folks with outreach dollars to make sure they're getting those. No sales tax on groceries um, and a budget process that was open to the public, transparent, available for public comment. Agencies could ask for what they needed. Um, and I think, you know, just that would that would put us in maybe a better spot than we are right now. Yeah. Well, hope springs eternal for all of us, right? 
you know, I just, Oklahoma has so much going for it. If we just harnessed it in a positive way, in a progressive way. Uh, I mean, I think that I, I, I think Ryan Walters is showing us right now that we haven't reached bottom yet. Like, it can't get worse. So, I mean, this seems like minor compared to, <laughs> to what Walters is pulling. I know I took a left turn there, but I'm just saying, like, things can get. We're okay for now, I think, you know? Like, it hasn't gotten worse yet on the tax side, so. Well, well, Emma, thanks for joining us and, and for group therapy today. And uh... <laughs> Yeah, thank you for having me. This was great. It's good to see you, Emma. Thank you for listening to this episode of ObserverCast. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and share our episodes far and wide on social media. If you're interested in sponsoring ObserverCast, please give Arnold Hamilton a call at 405-478-8700 or drop him an email at ahamilton at okobserver.org. You can also support ObserverCast with a tax-deductible donation to the Oklahoma Observer Democracy Foundation, whose mission is to help create a better, more informed Oklahoma. And to help keep us on the air, visit okobserver.org and click on the Donate button on the upper right side of the homepage. We also urge you to subscribe to the Oklahoma Observer, now in its 55th year of comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. We have a special digital subscription rate for ObserverCast listeners, only $1.99 a month for the first year. That's 50% off the usual rate for monthly digital subscribers. Just use the coupon code OBSERVERCAST when checking out to get the discount rate. And finally, we want to thank Jared Deck for the music you're listening to in the background here. He's not just a resident of Norman anymore. He is now the Oklahoma State Representative for House District 44. Congratulations, Representative Deck. We're so proud of you. But you can still download his albums at iTunes and learn more, including dates for any upcoming performances at jareddeathmusic.com.